welcome to a groundbreaking episode of the Biohacker Blondie podcast, where we talk all things health, wellness, longevity, and of course, biohacking. I'm your host, Jenny Jones, and in today's episode, we're joined by none other than Wade Lightheart, president and co-founder of Bioptimizers and a true visionary in the realm of health optimization and supplementation. He brings a wealth of knowledge from his latest co-authored masterpiece, The Nutrition Bible, but also shares his extensive experience in the realms of bodybuilding, biohacking, and living a vibrantly healthy life on a vegetarian diet. Additionally, it's worth noting that this episode was recorded on the remarkable occasion of Bioptimizer's 20th anniversary. I am incredibly thankful for Wade taking time out of his significant day to join me on the Biohacker Blondie podcast. You will not want to miss this episode because we get into it all, including nutrition, diet, hormones, weight training. Wade's journey is nothing short of inspiring, from achieving remarkable success in bodybuilding competitions, even on a raw food diet to running a marathon at the age of 50. He challenges conventional wisdom, proving that a plant-based diet, when tailored to an individual's genetic makeup and lifestyle, can feel extraordinary physical achievements. In this episode, Wade openly discusses his routines, his approach to hormones, and how he maintains his lifestyle to feel amazing at his age. We delve into the contrasting dietary approaches of Wade and his co-founder Matt exploring the dynamics of keto carnivore diets versus plant-based eating. The discussion extends to fiber and protein consumption and Wade's self-proclaimed title of Fiber King. Additionally, we touch on themes of masculinity and femininity, strategies for training your metabolism, and tailoring nutrition to your DNA. The conversation also covers cutting-edge topics like stem cells, gene therapy, and peptides, providing a comprehensive overview of the latest in health optimization. Join us as we explore Wade Lightheart's informed approach to health from the essential insights of the Nutrition Bible to the innovative supplements that have made Bioptimizers a household name among health enthusiasts. Whether you're curious about the benefits of a plant-based diet, the nuances of bodybuilding as a vegetarian, or the cutting edge of biohacking, this episode is full of knowledge celebrating two decades of excellence in the pursuit of optimal health. So now let's dive into this amazing episode with Wade Lightheart. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of the Biohacker Blondie podcast. We are with the amazing uh, Wade Lightheart, and he is the founder of Bioptimizers, the president who started this amazing company with supplements and just launched this book called The Nutrition Bible, which has everything in it. Um, I just wrote a book, a little protocol guide book, and this is like, has everything. And I'm so excited for this because you also are vegetarian Mm -hmm. and your partner for Bioptimizers is, he eats meat. Yeah, he's he's a keto guy. This is like the big debate, and I'm so excited to get into this. So please give us a little interview, background, bodybuilding, into supplements, everything, and give a little intro. And thank you so much for coming on here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, So it all started, you know, when I was a teenager, I was living in a rural part of Canada, and um, my sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. She's cancer of the lymph nodes. She was four years my senior, and I watched her go through the medical model over the course of four years before she died at the age of 22. Big impact on me. Wow. At that point, I realized your health isn't a guarantee. 
and your life isn't a guarantee. So that trauma or whatever you want to call it, that life experience set me up with a certain set of values and direction. Now, during her illness, she had given me a bodybuilding magazine and Troy Zuclato on the cover, some pretty girls and stuff. I was like, wow, man, it's California and pretty girls. And I guess I got to have these muscles. So I bought into, yeah, I bought into the (laughs) Joe Eater lie and discovered Arnold Schwarzenegger and started reading his books. Mm. And in his book, uh, Education of a Bodybuilder, he said, you know, you could achieve anything you want in life with hard work, self-discipline, and a positive attitude. Well, everybody I knew worked hard. This whole idea of self-discipline and a positive attitude. And so I started reading about it and learning about it. And of course, Arnold was as big as it gets back then. It was the 80s. And he was the, you know, making all the movies. He's married to the Kennedys. He had all these Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia titles. And it's like, okay, that seems like a better plan than what I have here. Five miles to my nearest neighbor on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> so I built a bar, a gym in my barn and started training. And it, in, in, a, in, a, in the turmoil of what was going on in my family and the hospital things and my sister, bodybuilding became something as a teenager that I had some control over. I could lift some weights and eat some food and I could see changes in my physique. So that was extremely empowering that there was something I could do, at least with myself, although my circumstances were less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward, went to university, studied exercise physiology, and that was a nice little background of information. But when I went, I was doing um, high-intensity training at a time. I experimented with so many different types of training. It's not even funny. So high-intensity training uh, was a big thing back in those days. and. Over the course of one of my one year, my resting heart rate dropped 10 beats per minute. Mm. And wow. I went to my exercise physiology professor, the literally the head of the department, and I asked him, I said, listen, um, I don't have any information to support this, but why do you think I'm not doing cardiovascular training? My my high intensity training is going here, and I see that's 10. My heart rate's dropped 10 beats, which is a lot. Yeah. What do you suppose that is? He had no idea. (laughs) No idea. So I'm like, I'm in a university and these people don't know a simple thing like this as a, you know, a senior student here. Yeah. yeah, I was out. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) I need to go find people who are producing the results they want. And so I started studying and mentoring under all sorts of different people uh, while and, and working on every single part of the nutrition industry. I worked in warehouses. I worked in stores. I was a rep, uh, represented products as an athlete. I was a salesperson. And eventually I opened up my first store, uh, after my first national championship in 1997, no, 97, I won my first title. That's where I met Matt briefly. Okay. 1998 went to my first nationals realized that bodybuilding was a drug cult essentially. And at that time we had Dorian Yates going to Ronnie Coleman, and I realized at that point, like, it didn't really matter whatever I did or trained or how much drugs I used or whatever. There was no way that this body was going to beat Ronnie Coleman. But like, so I was like, okay, I can't be the top guy. So what's the point here? So I went out to the West Coast, opened up a, a nutrition store, okay, started personal training people because I had all these titles and the here. physique. And I'll, no, this is in Vancouver, Canada. Okay, still Vancouver, Canada. Okay. Well, no, I was in New, the East Coast of Canada. I was born in Toronto, grew up in the East Coast in rural New Brunswick, which is right out by Maine. Okay. So, I mean, this is like the yes. drive-through product, the fattest, unhealthiest 
group in all of Canada. This is like, <laughs> you know, and 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 on that, I'm in like it's five miles to my nearest neighbor on a dirt road in the middle of woods. Oh my gosh. Fifty-five miles to the nearest city. Okay. Okay. So, so it was, you know, pretty different. bare bones. Yeah. Um that being said, all of that to say, so I ended up in Vancouver, um, coaching people. I developed a great reputation for getting people in fantastic shape, guys, girls, older people, younger people, didn't matter. I knew how to get everybody in shape. And so in a very short period of time, I built up a massive clientele and Mm. that was really cool. And I got to get around, you know, some of, you know, Vancouver's most elite people that I would never have access to. And they were literally paying me for their time, which was awesome. But I had to learn a lot about business and the world and all those sort of things. And uh, in 2003, um, I was doing, I started competing in natural competitions for that's for athletes who don't use, you know, steroids, growth hormone, TRT, wow. all that sort of stuff. Wow. And as a vegetarian, as a plant-based, cause I had gone into. So yeah, you've always been plant-based. No. Okay. Okay. So when so, did this happen and why? Yeah. Great question. So <laughs> if we go back, um, so I grew up. I mean, I had a gun license when I was 14, hunting, fishing, living in a rural environment. If it didn't have meat in a meal, it's not a meal, okay, right? That was, yeah. that was yeah. my, where it wasn't. My family grew a garden. We had an organic garden back then. It was, like, oh, it was just normal. That's good. And yeah. um, Real food. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went to university. When I went to university, I started eating food at a university level, which was a lot more factory thing. Even though it was like some of the same vegetables and things I was eating, I started gaining all this weight. Mm. And I was like, What's going on here? And that was my first indication about the quality of food. I had just been in a high quality food environment and didn't know it. Yeah. And then when I found it, I was like, oh, wow, there's a big difference. And unfortunately, most people are in the opposite. They've never had high quality food. So they, they don't know. They don't know that. And I had that value. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was really great. Thanks for my mom and my dad and all their hard work for that. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So when I, um, after the 98 Nationals, I went on, and my coach at the time later on kind of identified this. His, his name's Scott Abel. He's one of the best bodybuilding coaches in history. He's trained over 400 champions from every level, from Mr. Olympia all the way down to Mr. Local. Wow. Yeah, great, real thinker. Um, and he had a degree in sociology, a mm. master's degree uh, in sociology. Oh, wow. And... After the 98 Nationals and the loss of this dream that I had been pursuing essentially for years to be, you know, Mr. Olympia, be a pro bodybuilder, all that sort of stuff. Um, I went through, uh, I started working for a year and then I discovered the underground party scene, you mm. know, so, you know, I'm working in the nutrition bar in the day, mornings and evenings, I'm, I'm, I'm personal <laughs> training. And on the weekends, I'm just like popping disco biscuits, like it's going out of style and partying my ass off. Like that, that's what's going on. <laughs> And, uh, I did that for about a year until that fell all apart and crashed and burned. So, um, it was an, it was a fun, exciting adventure that almost cost my life. Yeah. Um, I come out of that and I'm like, okay, I got to find the straight and narrow here. And I thought, Hey, there's these drug, drug free competitions. That'd be interesting to do. Yeah. So I decided to do that. I also had discovered, um, and you're still I, training at this time. Oh, yeah. You're still training. I always was training. Okay, always okay. was working. I always was doing multiple. Like, well, I was always someone wow. putting in, you know, 50, yeah. 60 hours a week, plus wow. two or three hours in the gym, you know, wow. like 
Yeah. There was no motivation issues here and less distractions. We didn't have internet. We didn't have so like we didn't have like social media distractions. We didn't have the texting so on the phone. You know, all these things, now. all that stuff wouldn't exist. So the yeah. gym was a very different place. It was a social environment. Uh, you know, like you, well, wasn't headphones on, not talking to everybody. Like you knew everybody at the you gym, you share a machine. Yeah, There's it was no a great Instagram place. Instagram to like know, already know what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really <laughs> sad part of gym culture. And it's also, I think, maybe why CrossFit has done so well is because they still have a gym culture because there's more interaction. It's very mm, competitive and stuff, but there's that interaction. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, so I'm going down this road and I said, you know, I, I fell in love with Eastern philosophy. I had some unique spiritual experiences mm-hmm. that made me validate that philosophy. And so I decided, oh, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I was – doing bodybuilding competitions on a plant-based diet. Everybody says that's not possible. You can't win a bodybuilding show. You can't be fitness. You can't build muscle. Can't get ripped. Can't all, can't, 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 can't. And I was like, well, is, is this true? Yeah. Is this true? It, just because something isn't common doesn't mean that it's not possible. Yeah. Okay. And, and everyone's so, body's different too. So that's another And thing. I had to experiment. So I said, I'm going to run an experiment. I'm going to compete in bodybuilding competitions with no drugs. And I'm going to do it on a plant-based diet is that and a, see what happens. Is that a 1%? <laughs> no, no. This is way below 1%. This is way out there. This is as boat. And everybody, like, no way, no way. everybody told me I was crazy. Yeah. They said, this isn't possible. You're going to lose. This is not going to work out. Well, um, I won my, I won my category, the open men's, the overall best poser, my first contest. I'm like, great. I go to the Western championships the same year. I meet up with this one guy. Uh, I'm the second best guy in the whole show, but the one guy that beats me is in my class. And he's awesome. Kevin Weiss is his name. And mm-hmm. he's a world champion powerlifter, world champion bodybuilder, just an absolute freak, great trainer, great guy, all that stuff. Wow. Beats me. And I'm like, okay, I need another year. <laughs> so uh, I train another year prepping for that show. I go back. I win that show. win my division, win the overall, go into the competition at the Miss, for the national championships. And this is to qualify for the Mr. Universe. And what was interesting and this goes back to the metaphysics of things. I know. When I got so into the plant ba- when this. I got into the plant based when I decided to be a plant based athlete. Yeah. What happened is there was a writing, and my teacher was Paramahansa Yogananda, wrote autobiography of Yogi and created SRF and YSSS and Yogananda Satsang Asana of India is a well known saint, probably one of the biggest spiritual influences in the last hundred years. Wow. And Kate was the first yogi to live extensively here in the West and the whole yoga movement, everything has emerged essentially from his work. And there was one of his writings that said, if something doesn't exist for you and you're following this spiritual path, God will create this for you. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to put that to the test. I had this dream of going to the Mr. Universe contest. I had a dream of all these things. If I do this stuff, I'm going to follow everything. I'm going to do all the meditation. I'm going to do the plant-based diet. I'm going to do all these sort of recommendations, right? For advanced <laughs> mystical practice. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Shocking enough, I went to that contest the second year. Now, I'm going to compete against the same guy that beat me last year. I don't know. It's close. I might lose to this guy. He's really good. And he's doing meat. He's Yeah, he's just doing okay. Yeah, everybody's doing that. So yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. The, I'm the only guy. On okay, this the only vegetarian. At this time. Yeah, yeah. this is 20. One years ago, 20 years ago, two decades ago. Nobody was doing it then. We are just going to take a quick pause to mention my amazing sponsor, Equip Foods. 
I am obsessed with all of their products, their protein powder, their organ supplements, but I also want to talk about their collagen, which I love. Clinical studies show that collagen improves the health of your joints, gut lining, connective tissues, and the skin. I just put a scoop in my coffee every morning, and I will also add the collagen to my almond milk when I make cappuccinos to make it extra frothy. Their grass-fed collagen formula uses the absolute highest quality bovine collagen available from cows pasture-raised on small farms in the U.S., It contains 15 grams of grass-fed collagen peptides and none of those unhealthy additives or artificial ingredients found in most products. Complete Collagen Unflavored contains only one ingredient, grass-fed bovine collagen peptides, while it's the easiest way to support healthy joints and tissues and support recovery after an injury. Equip Foods was so kindly to offer my listeners a 20% discount code BIOHACKERBLONDIE20 for 20% off any of their products So go check them out because all of their products are amazing. I will provide the link in the show notes below. And so now let's dive back into this episode. The IFBB at the time, the International Federation of Bodybuilders, announces for the first time in 50 some years that they're going to change the weight classes. So Kevin and I are suddenly separated in different weight classes. We both win our weight classes. We both win the title. Perfect. And, we, and I get to go to the Mr. Universe, in, which happens to be in Mumbai, India that year. Oh, wow. So I, and I had gone to India the first of the year and went on a whole mystical kind of, you know, lived in Spiritual. ashrams and all that sort of stuff and had some pretty far out experiences with some, <laughs> with some mystics. <laughs> And I ended up back there at the end of the end of 2003, competing at the Mr. Universe, which was my dream. I didn't win. I think I got like 13th or whatever. Right? I'm good enough to get to the World Championships, but the genetics I was given is really difficult for me to, you know, enter that yeah. that upper echelon. There, there's pretty much every Basketball. every World Championship I've been to. There is two or three guys in that contest. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm just not going to beat them. But it's good to go there. And yeah. it's good to why that's so relative to the book and to what we're espousing this is that people who push things to the extremes are very much like Formula One car racers. And that is nobody wants to drive down the road at 200 miles an hour or think that's a good idea. But because there are people in the planet that are willing to do this, engine technology, braking technology, tire technology, aerodynamics, all these advantages which we are applying to your everyday driver car Mm -hmm. have been discovered by people pushing the edges and willing to hit the curb a few times. And I certainly hit the curb a few times. And the good news is I've been able to extract some of the principles out of that extreme nature and apply them and be able to create a repeatable process for people who want to go down that process that route. And since that time in 2007, I went to the natural Olympia, the world championships again. Love it. <laughs> and I did that on a raw food diet. So I did the first what? one on a plant-based diet. Then I did a raw food diet the second time. And then last year, uh, cause it would have been, uh, 13, 14 years since I competed. I, I guess it's more than that. 2007 to 2000. <laughs> what was last year? 23. So it's 16, yeah. so 16 years I hadn't competed again. So I came back as a 50 year old Won the Ironman International, turned pro, and competed at the Olympia again at 50. That is so awesome. So 
I wanted not just the how good you could become, but also can you sustain that over an extended period of time? Yeah. You and Matt are like great little guinea pigs of meat eater versus vegetarian. Correct. And you have so much back, like so many years backing up all of this because you've been there since the beginning kind of of the health and the, and the, and the working out and everything. So I'm just there's so many people out there now saying meat, carnivore, eat this, only fruit, don't eat vegetables. Sure. Like there's just so much out there right now. And I'm like, everyone's body's different. I know you go into the genes into the book as well, which I want to ask you about. I am curious. I'm, I'm, I mean, you have so much research behind you guys, but do a lot of blood work, cholesterol difference. All do you guys... It. Do you guys compare your measurements because like your blood work and lab work and everything? I'm we, so curious. We, we used to. Um, so, so, you know, the, the cultivation of this book, I mean, the first decade of him and I were spent arguing while we were running a company. But Matt and I were both committed to one thing, and that is commitment to the truth. Mm-hmm. And we realized through the debating, he's a ketogenic guy, I'm a plant-based guy, the uh positives and negatives of both diets over longevity then in performance we started to learn things from each other so for example i he learned the importance of fiber in his diet i learned mm. the importance of you know key essential fatty acids okay okay so those are things that his arguments were so good that i had to pay better attention to my essential fatty acids and my arguments were so good he had to pay attention to more fiber on his ketogenic diet yeah okay? that's a great so, point so there's a couple couple ways you can highlight um, iron. I'm curious. Have you ever been deficient in iron? No, I have absolutely zero deficiencies on any mineral vitamin. I have perfect cholesterol. I have a okay. heart rate in, uh, in, when I wake up in the morning around 40, I ran a marathon six months after I did the Olympia after not running ever before. So my VO2 max is that of a, someone in their twenties. Okay. And so and from you, a fitness profile. Pro- and, oh yeah. You, supplement all supplement, the time. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I, with iron or these certain things, like you probably would be deficient and that goes for any diet. I mean, you have to really even carnivore or anything. These, or well, keto. here's the thing about diets that, you know, they're let's, we cover vir- virtually all of the main conceptual ideas in the various diet pathways whether if it's a fit your macros, paleo, keto, raw food, plant-based, you know, ketogenic. Everything. And yeah. inside of all of those diets, whatever diet that you choose, you have to recognize there are optimal aspects of that diet and there's suboptimal aspects. So you'll be loaded in one, some nutrients and then loaded. Now, genetic proclivity is going to determine likelihood of which diet might be more suitable for you. For example, when I experimented with the ketogenic diet, it didn't work very, for, very well for me because it turns out I don't metabolize fats very well. Now, we didn't have the gene test back then when I discovered that. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt went off and built an enzyme formulation that had four different types of lipase, and then I could be successful on a ketogenic diet following that because it was just I was, didn't have the enzymes. For the fat. Now, for him, he has to be watch his stuff around carbohydrates, mm. right? I do great on carbs. He prefers not to be do on you, carbs. Do you know the specific genes or and which test do you recommend? Because oh, I get this wow, question, a question a lot. Well, <laughs> the, the thing about the gene test, it's not so much the test. It's the algorithm that they're running. Okay. And the data sets to this point are still incomplete. Okay. And they're directed by what are the goals of, the out, of, of that particular of the group. So- 
I have done a number of different genetic tests for different reasons. My genetics doesn't change, but how I apply that becomes differently. We're actually working on a, like kind of like a super genetic test because we're really frustrated with some of the limitations and all these ones. And then there's the longevity stuff and all the, you know, because why would you take a genetic test? Okay. Number one, you want to know what vitamins and minerals or nutrients you're going to have a tough time bringing yeah. in because you don't methylate that well, or you have poor enzymatic efficacy, yeah. or, you know, or maybe you, and then you want to know what are your major health risks? Mm-hmm. So for me, I have a double bad gene for cardiovascular health. I have oh. uh, a gene that doesn't make me feel full. So I was a tendency to overeat on my own. I have a gene that says that I won't be that great. At, uh, I could be diabetic if I don't watch my blood sugar and my neurochemistry is such that I need carbohydrates to feel good. Now, most of that stuff I discovered through trial and error over 20 years, but you can figure this out in a couple hours after, a, you know, doing some test. genetic tests, right? <laughs> and really narrow down and why we advocate doing a genetic test. Because now, based on your genetics, you can start looking at what are the things that are likely to take you out mm-hmm. and where are the areas that you're suboptimal. And then select a diet around your strengths and avoiding your weaknesses. And then use supplementation and you know biological optimization tech yeah. in order to in in to to offset your limitations or to produce a similar result you want. Now, could I do a ketogenic diet? Could I do a carnivore diet? Could I do a paleo diet? Yes, I could do any one of those diets and be totally successful using those principles. Mm-hmm. Even though to the external person, like what what do you mean here? Well, you're vegetarian eating meat, or you're a carnivore that's eating vegetables, like. No, it has nothing to do with those things. And we're so, like, if diets worked as a general idea, and you could take all of the diet gurus out there. So many. What we do know is this. Since we've been advocating the need for diets, people are getting fatter and unhealthier. Yeah. So why is that? Well, number one, we're trying to offset the abundance of food. We have two. One thing that we have, we share in common with everyone, is that we have survival genes. So we have all these genes that help us store body fat and reduce our muscle mass without activity. Yeah. Okay. Because that's metabolically efficient. If I don't move much, I don't need much muscle. So, and then we have, so, so, (laughs) cause since starvation was a big issue since all of humanity, this is huge. Yeah. So what do we need to do? So we have those in other words, it's easier for us to gain fat. It's hard for us to gain muscle. Muscle's the key to metabolism. And, and fat is associated with all the obesity risks. And then every diet is essentially addressing that. And here's the thing. They all work. And they all work for a while. They all work for two, three months. And then whatever the suboptimal parts are. Now, oftentimes, a person will switch from a plant-based diet and go on a meat-based mm-hmm. diet. And this go, wow, I haven't felt so good in my years. Well, that's because you had 10 years of suboptimal living. And when you, as soon as you switched, you start filling up those holes. Mm, I love this so much. It's so true. Right? This happens. And so, so, so now you think that's the diet. Forth. Yeah. No. What was the problem with your diet? Originally it had holes and your current diet probably has holes now and you're going to discover certain a few down years the road. Later, so if you're not matching <laughs> this to your genes and your hormones and your gut bacteria and all these sort of things, then what you're doing is you're, 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 you're spinning around the diet world. Yeah. And the average person has done six different diets. 97% of the people who start a diet end up gaining all the weight back and experience yo-yo dieting, which has more contraindications for the disease and development, stuff like that. So the reality is, is you want something that you can sustain. You don't want to be too attached to your diet that becomes an ism 
Yeah. Anytime something becomes an ism, it's now paradigm blindness. It is not, it's not um, lucid enough in order to address your unique individual needs. And also because of our, the way our brains are and they, this tribal association that we all desire and need, we're now going to start getting into cult dynamics where, you know, we have to listen to the charismatic leader that has advocated that this diet solved all their problems and that every other diet is crap and garbage. And if you do that, you're going to die. <laughs> right. It's like, the thou so shouts and thou shouts. right. <laughs> right. And so I'm saying, I don't dis, I don't say that these experts that have emerged didn't do this diet and didn't have the results they weren't. And their testimonials are the top two percentile on a, on a distribution curve, standard deviation distribution curve. The top 2%, you know, they lost 30 pounds. The cardiovascular numbers went through the roof, you know, to awesome. Their blood sugar regulated. Their hormone profile was awesome. And they're a legend. I don't yeah. doubt that. But where the haters come is the 2% on the other side of the curve that gained a bunch of weight, destroyed their metabolism, went half crazy, couldn't control their blood sugar, developed some weird disease. Which you've been, I did read that part where you were in the bodybuilding competition, you gained the weight back, yes. and then you destroyed your gut and yep. all this, and it took two years to get back to, you know, controlling your ghrelin hormone, doing, you know, well, working was, on your gut microbiome. So we had, so I'll qualify that you're mixing two stories. Oh, okay, okay. So in 2003, I tried to do, uh, when I went to the Mr. Universe, I did essentially, a, if it fits your macros, bodybuilding style with a plant-based or a origin, like conceptual idea. And that got me ripped and got me to, you know, the world championships. Yeah. Pretty good. But people can destroy but, their bodies. But the, the tenants that I was under there disrupted my microbiome so, and my metabolism Mm-hmm. I didn't reverse diet out of it. One of the concepts inside of the book. And I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. I met a doctor. He started teaching me about enzymes, probiotic, amino acids, all this sort of stuff. I went on a raw food diet for, for the next two years. Oh. But I repaired my metabolism and my gut biome in six months and never felt diet. better. And so I spent the next four years optimizing a plant-based diet for performance. That's why I went back to the world's in 07. Because I was like, how do you figure this out and do this healthy? And when I went back in 07... I won another national championship. I went to the world championships and felt great and didn't gain all the weight afterwards. So I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm done. Now I can take this to the world, right? Because I knew that in 03 and we started our business, which is actually 20 years today. Matt and I started 20 years today. 20 years today? 20 years today. Yeah, 20 years today. Oh my gosh, congrats. Thanks. (laughs) So I started at 20 years and, and Matt and I, like, we started that, we started that largely in part because we wanted athletes and people been to muscle and in the fitness culture to not make some of the mistakes that I had and to avoid the, the trap of, you know, start using drugs at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, Matt was the fellow that did a rest- super restrictive diet for his wedding. Mm. And that's where he tripped off his Graylin response. And then it was two years. He, he was literally hungry Same. for two years. Wow. So, it was, so the, there was two kind of stories there, but that's, yeah. a, that's the mix between the two. And so do you do any fasting? I'm curious. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you like the fasting. You think it's yeah. great. Cause I know you were saying you, you were doing minimal calories and, and that was, was that you and the, I think, or is that, I'm getting confused with Matt. 
So you did like 1,500 calories a day and then... I'm not sure which... I think you're probably mixing up some stories there. Okay, because, okay. Because Matt's this, got his ketogenic this, world and I got my... Book yeah, is yeah. full of information. Like, yeah, it's a lot. You can get lost it's in It's great, but you also get into like don't stay away from toxins, which is a huge issue, I think. And that just kind of can ruin your hormones, ruin, you know, weight loss, ruin what your body is supposed to do. So we're living in like a society that's very, it's hard to be healthy because we're surrounded by so many toxins and it just seems to be getting worse and worse over the years. There's more and more chemicals and things added and processed food. Can I speak to that for a a second? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I wrote a book um, around 2010 and it was called Staying Alive in a Toxic World for this reason. I am very wary of the toxin police. And I'll tell you why. Okay. You're right. There's a, an array of toxins, but we have so many people that are on a toxin freak out regime. Mm-hmm. And no matter, and I've been down that road. <laughs> I've been there, right? You know? Um, and I mean, I'm a guy that did two years on a completely raw food diet. Okay. Yeah, right. Like yeah, very... detox, everything, you know, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Right. And the thing is, is no matter how much toxins you eliminate out of your diet and in your home, you are subjected to an extremely toxic world. Mentally and physically. That's why I said, <laughs> that's why I said staying alive in a toxic world. And part of the toxic thinking is to be worrying about toxins all the time. Mm. What I'm saying is, hey, yep, it's a toxic world. Yep, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Yep. Can you change that? No. What can you change? You can change your capacity to handle toxins. So one of the strategies I do is I employ Mm. fasting one day a week. I happen to have suboptimal detoxification genetics. Mm. So I do that one day a week. I fast one day a week. and 24 hours? Well, actually, I'll I'll eat at like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the evening. And then I won't eat the next day. And then I'll eat somewhere between seven and noon the following day. So it'll be 36 to 40 hours. Oh, wow. Every week. Yeah, every week. And I also have, so people know, I have one day where I'm going to eat two and a half to three times my caloric limit on the day. Wow. So I'm going to spike my metabolism. So the detoxification and the benefits of fasting and the resetting apostat and all that sort of stuff and just being, you know, detoxifying the system, that's the fasting side. But the, the feasting side, and we talk about these strategies, that's something that I'm allows myself to, to keep my metabolism boosted. And when fasting became all the rage a couple of years ago, I remember Matt and I saying, oh, yeah, watch this one. Wait till they come back in a couple of years and saying, fasting destroyed my metabolism. Yeah, excessive amounts of doing anything is a bad idea because your body will self-correct. Mm-hmm. So one of the concepts that, my coach introduced to us, Scott Abel, way back in the day, was these refeed days, which he, you know, and, you know, he was putting in 10, 12, 15,000 calories in a single day, okay, as a 265-pound bodybuilder. What? Right? And people were following around, like, how are you shredded to the bone all the time? He says, well, yeah, well, I maintain a thousand calorie deficit, 500 from diet, 500 from exercise on six days of the week. So I'm in a calorie deficit six days a week. 
And then by spiking this, my body's metabolic metabolic capacity can't store this as body fat. So it increases thermic temperature. It increases protein synthesis. It increases recovery. It gains muscle mass. It fills up glycogen stores and it burns the cells. And it also resets the trigger inside of the brain that, oh, I'm not starving. Because if you start fasting for extended periods of time, your metabolism is going to slow down. If you start reducing the amount of exercise that you do on a weekly basis, your metabolism is going to slow down. If you diet for an extended period of time, your metabolism is going to slow down. So how do you diet using science and offsetting the evolutionary tendencies that we all inherited, millions of years of survival genetics that you have to overcome? Mm -hmm. So on top of the, that's kind of genetics applied to metabolism. And then there's your individual genetics, which is where you might find it easier to find a diet that supports you. I love that so much. <laughs> so that was a long-winded, I sorry to ramble on that. Uh, but. No, it's great. I uh, This is such great. You have so much information. You've been doing this. You've been in this industry for so long. So yeah, my whole have... life. <laughs> and then what is your workout? Like, do you work out every day? Yeah, pretty so, much. I, so I work basic... out between five and six days a week. Um, so mornings are get up and I, I walk to the gym. It's about a mile to the gym. I walk to the gym, do my workout, and then and weight training come back. And, you know, later in the day, I'll go for another long walk in the afternoon. Um, last year I started running because they said bodybuilders mm. can't run marathons. I said, okay, well, let's see if that's true. So after the natural Olympia, I started running and six months later, I ran my first marathon in four hours. And you feel good. Felt great. Feel great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't feel great when I hit the wall at the run. At the very end. That <laughs> well, you're 21 miles. No injuries? What's that? No injuries. You, no injuries? No injuries? You weren't sore yeah. or not? Oh, I was sore. sore. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, and the first little bit, there was an adjustment period. Like it was, you know, painful the first three, four weeks. Yeah. Joint uh, adjustments and stuff like that. And then I got some help. And I had some injuries uh, prior to the uh, Olympia that I had to deal with a shoulder thing for about 18 months. But I just trained through it. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not the biggest advocate for long runs because I think, you know, once in a while, but it's, I feel like it's very harsh on the joints and can do some damage yeah. over time. If yeah. My, like. my experience is, you know, 45 minutes is probably the optimal, uh, you know, 30 minutes is probably minimal. And after 60 minutes, I don't think there's a lot of benefit. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't run that much. Yeah. And I'll, so I'll run a, maybe a two hour run once a month, mm. you know, just to make sure, okay, I've got that. I've got that two hour. Diff. Now, after the, after I did my first marathon, keep in mind, I had dieted for 18 months to get ready for the Olympia. Cause I did it really, really slow and careful. And then I went right into running. Now here's something that was very striking for the listeners. You'd think you'd lose weight getting ready for the marathon. I gained 10 pounds getting ready for the marathon. Muscle? No, fat, all <laughs> fat. Nothing but fat on a With DEXA running? Scan. Yes. And I'm running a minimum of. With a DEXA scan. I'm, I'm running, yeah, four to six hours a week. Wow. Okay. And I gained body fat. So this year, as an experiment, I'm going to, I'm, I started prepping for my run now. I'm going to do the marathon first and I'm going to do the Olympia after and see what happens. I don't know. 
Wow. And and so I have no idea what's going to happen. It was counterintuitive that I was going to gain that weight as, you know, running so much. Because I was literally training twice the amount of hours total than I was weight training. And so that's one of the things that we talk about in the book is about understanding metabolism, not calorie burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Metabolism. Calorie burn. If you're just chasing the calorie burn, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. If you're working on your metabolism, like there's people that just walk. Yeah. And get ripped. Yeah. I, right. I mean, if your diet's on point, you just need to walk. You don't, it's, it's not so much the, how much you're burning. And sometimes that's suboptimal because of the recovery aspects you're talking. Yeah. For me, running is just, I feel exhausted after. And then I feel like my body will want more food when I do the that's run. That's right. And that's, and so, that's what I didn't account for. Yeah. I, I think people really kind of don't think of that. Like, how do you feel after the workout you want to, do you feel energized? Do you feel, you know, like, how do you, so I don't run that much. I definitely like kind of lengthening and use adding weights and, and mm. balance. I think balance is everything. Um, but yeah, so let's get into some more. I have some more questions. Testosterone. I think since, you know, you and Matt, have you ever dealt with low testosterone? Oh, yeah. So I, I don't have super high testosterone levels. You know, maybe when I was younger and I wasn't testing in something. But, um, you know, generally I'm running in the mid 500s. Okay. Right. Which is pretty good for a guy in his fifties. It's not on TRT or hormones, but I mean, optimally it would be 800. We are doing some experiments right now on optimizing that. Okay. And everyone, the results are, the results are pretty positive. (laughs) The results have been, uh, certainly positive. Uh, a supplement coming out or yeah, we're actually working on a combination set for men and Mm. we have another product coming out for females because females hormone cycle is completely different. You're on a 28 day cycle and we're on a 24 hour cycle. Yeah. Right. So, um, massive difference. So we're actually, um, doing both. So we're releasing the female product early this year and the male product come out later in the year because there's a lot more nuances that we want to kind of tweak out on that one. And you have amazing research team behind all your supplements. Like I, I yeah. was shocked. What, are they all in the same place? Are they working from all over? Well, we have two. We have two main facilities. So we have a partnership with the uh, International Birch University in Bosnia and their microbiology lab. Oh. What that allows us to do is to actually get beyond lab assays. Most supplement companies are billing with lab assays. It turns out that about seventy to eighty percent of the things that people are making their products with on a lab assay actually have no biological value. So it may look good on the assay. It has this amount, but it, does it work? No. Like and so you're we saying are, it doesn't get absorbed or the, the amount? The active ingredients may not be active at in, all. It doesn't uh, do anything inside of the body. So they're, right. It's, it's, so, 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 so the variance on product raws is, so we're able to do that. The other thing is, is, you know, we've, we cut our teeth in the digestive health. I believe that we have the most robust, most effective digestive suite in the industry, period. And I have significant evidence to, to <laughs> prove that. Um, you know, you do things like InfoGest, which is kind of the gold standard of how things work in the microbiome and what mm. crosses. And we've developed enzymatic and probiotic formulations for a variety of situations. Not everybody should be on the same enzyme. Not everybody should be on the same probiotic. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it's very, the microbiome is very complicated, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and your diet's going to change it. It's changing all the time. Yeah. So all of the evidence is kind of like a snapshot of the past. Yeah. And, you know, we're still working on finding, you know, there's so much variance in the gut biome test. Most of them are garbage in fact, and I, I don't think they're relative. I think I think this that's where your crazy. self-observation is really, really important. How do you feel? Are you, you yeah. bloated? You're ghastly? You're flatulent? 
you yeah. know, are you, know, you constipated? Diet, it's or, like, you, know, you what can are you kind of on? tell. Yeah. I feel like you need to listen to your body as well. Like some Big people time. really crave meat. Some people don't. Yeah. I crave more vegetables. I don't know. And so why am I forcing this when I feel like my body's telling me what to do, you know? And I've even heard, you know, pregnant women that have been vegetarian all of a sudden really crave meat while they're pregnant. Yeah. And then they'll have some and then they go back. So it's yep. like your body's just letting you know, hey, I need more of these nutrients. I was actually iron deficient. My hemoglobin was like five, um, had no iron in my system. And my body was craving ice. It was like I was eating like because of the minerals because I didn't have any. And so and this is a common thing if you're iron deficient. And it's like so your body's telling you, hey, I need this. And you start like grabbing towards that, you know. So it's very important to like listen to your body, I feel like. Circling back to the hormone issue, see? Yeah. Um, more is not necessarily better. So there's a ratio of a variety of hormones. And this is why you need a really good hormone doctor to be looking at your blood work. Because, for example, just let's say I was to go on to TRT or take testosterone or some sort of support. We don't, the, the, the side effects might not be worth the gains. Mm. So we have an idea that higher is better, but it's higher within certain constraints. There are other counter hormones. And so, for example, uh, bodybuilders who are taking not therapeutic dosages, they're taking uh, performance-based dosages. When they start jacking- more like smaller amounts? No, higher just, amounts. Oh, high, yeah, high they're, amount. they're taking super physiological levels. That's oh. how they look super physiological, right? Okay, yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> um, they're taking- extreme amounts, but the science of how they offset the rise in their other hormones is, is it's really deep. Disruptive. And then the top guys in the industry, guys and girls in the industry have people that are monitoring their blood and their liver enzymes and their hormone enzymes to an extensive degree. And frankly, bodybuilding gets a bad rap. And the rap is almost all of the biohacking stuff that came out there comes out of bodybuilding. <laughs> they're way ahead of the game before anybody else. I mean, you go read uh, The Wild Physique by Vince Garanda, Geron or Vince Garanda, however you want to say it, who is coaching athletes. And he was the first guy to show up at the Mr. Universe ripped in the 1940s. And so he was so ripped, they didn't even know what to do with him. And he had a, a form of a ketogenic diet. He was using all these glandulars, hormones. But like he was- To the 1940s? 1940s. Okay. This guy was, was shredded. Like, and he was coaching- That was very and, rare And, 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 and he was time, right? coaching all these- uh, Hollywood folks to get in shape relatively quick. And oh. he would put them on a ketogenic diet and what we would call a ketogenic diet, raw cream and eggs and no carbohydrates. And he would run them on that for 21 days. Right. And then he would take them off it and he put them on a plant-based diet for 10 days to realkalize the body and to clean out the system and to reset mm. the body. And then he would hit them back again. And, and he was oh, well known for getting people. Yeah. Way ahead of his time. So there was this like law science that people were learning way back then. Rio wow. H. Blair and Vince Garanda and a lot of those guys. And that's where, and then the early bodybuilders were using these guys as a nutritionist. And then they started developing their own programs and sharing information. And of course, then the, the use of performance enhancing supplements and drugs kind of came in, you know, first with steroids, testosterone, and then anabolic steroids. And then Later on, when we Peptides. got into the 1990s, like the 80s and 90s, this is where things like growth hormone and insulin and anti-cortisol drugs and painkillers, and that's when the cornucopia, <laughs> and that's when the mass monsters started coming in. And now right up into genetic engineering. So, How do you, you know, everyone that you worked out with, you know, maybe 20 years ago, how are they doing now? 
<laughs> I'm uh, curious, you know, well, with Arnold too. He was yes. on everything. Yeah. He had a, I, you know, I watched his documentary, had a little heart failure. Yeah. It's, that, it's a congenial uh, birth condition on this heart valve that okay. his father had the same. That's what killed his father. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, and then the testosterone, do you see a lot of people are, is anyone able to get off of testosterone? Well, Matt, my business partner, was on TRT. Okay. And for a few years, and he's gone off it successfully. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So he's done both sides of the equation. Okay. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of guys. The longer that someone does, say, steroids or anabolics, and let's let's separate the difference. Like TRT is to build up your testosterone levels to what is normal or in the high end of normal, mm-hmm. optimal for your age and you know, what your goals are. And the reality is, is right now there's a lot of young guys in their twenties and thirties on TRT. Really? Yeah. The average right well, now. testosterone so low for even, yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah. ask men this all the time. I'm like, what's your testosterone? And it's really low, like 300, 350 or something. Yep. Yep. And this is men in their twenties, you know? Yep. And of course these factors, you know, I've heard amazing things. You start sleeping you start eating real food, these things can definitely impact your testosterone as well. So even just doing these like things, these little habits can really help increase that your testosterone. Exercise um, and you know, like chopping yeah. wood is one of the things that boosts testosterone higher than anything because there's this dopamine loop every time that you chop that stick and break it open. And I think <laughs> I think we I think men are designed to do things that have positive feedback loops. And mm-hmm. I think as a society right now, there's a tremendous amount of negative feedback loops towards men. And that's why people are gravitating to listening. Men are gravitating to listen to guys like Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate or various people because they are actually sending up a message to men that was traditional in male culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, masculinity. Yeah. Just- and there's a lot of women are out there saying, well, we're all the men gone. Well, guess what? <laughs> you 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 estrogenize them. Yeah. With this woke ideology. Yeah. And I'm not saying that men and women are equal. They're just different. It, we're built different. We're different. Uh, our physiology sorry. difference, our hormones different, how we look different. different. Than yours. And I have a cycle. Bio- yeah, only <laughs> biological women can have children. Yeah, I know. Right? You can and identify with, as whatever like you want. The feminine, where, I mean, I could produce a baby, like yeah. a brand new, you know, baby. Yeah, it's a I can't magical. Do that. No and matter you, what I do, I can't do that. Yeah. And so right. it's like, I, there's these beautiful aspects of both parts, the Correct. feminine and the masculine. And we yeah. shouldn't try and remove, you know, those things. That and and some women are more masculine. Masculine, and yeah. some women are, and some men are more feminine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with how you identify. There's nothing yeah. wrong with anything else. But if we're looking at a physiological, hormonally, biological, genetic components, yeah, these are the realities an individual's dealing with, and there are certain things that you cannot override. Yeah, um, you can take all the hormones you want. That's not going to turn you into a man. You will have more masculine characteristics. Yeah. But your chromosomes don't change. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The chromosomes don't change. We're still- Same as a female. A guy can take all these feminine drugs and become very feminine, but the chromosomes don't change. So when we're talking about this, this isn't an idea. This isn't a this isn't about a political agenda. This isn't anything about that. This is about looking at the biology and then looking at the multitude of ways that you can address your diet, your metabolism, 
and pick their best diet for you for life mm. and be flexible enough that as things change, you can change. So for example, if it came to some sort of conclusion that I would be more successful by eating meat on my diet than I could possibly do as a plant-based person, I would just do it. Not attached to being a plant-based guy. Now, that being said, there are suboptimal things that I've had to address. And I believe that the constraints put on me in a plant-based diet were positive constraints in that it led me to start proving out and finding ways to be successful on a plant-based diet and then demonstrating it in the real world. That's why I did the bodybuilding competitions. That's why I ran the marathon. Not because they're cool things. But I want to see, does this work this is, in the extreme, the going that FEF1, does it work on this extreme nature? Because if it does, and then I'm listening to diet guru over here that's saying, you, you can't do vegans this. are horrible people and they're going to all fade, you know, know, blow away and I die. Know, or they're saying like, well, Paul no. Paul Saladino's like, if you're yeah. eating broccoli, yeah. this is yesterday. He's like, if you're eating broccoli, you're destroying your body. And I'm like, right. Uh, I love broccoli. I do well with broccoli. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, all they're doing is exposing their ignorance. And I'm here and Matt's here to invite a different conversation because this type of dietary tribalism, the division and no, all of the people. haterade being poured all over the place yeah, is not helping the population. And as experts in the field, and I, I've got friends who are carnivores, I got friends who are keto people. It fits your macros, you know, paleo. There's everything. <laughs> All of it. Great. What we need to present is a more unified message mm-hmm. to how do we build up people in the dietary choices that's right for them without being attached to is someone in my cult. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's body's different. Everyone's genes are different. Like what your, you know, your workouts, your, your, you know, your lifestyle. So we all need to take in these factors and decide what, you know, and then of course you can have specific diets for maybe healing as well. So you might want to do this for a little bit, heal your gut and then go to a more like diverse diet for your microbiome and, you know, so it's a whole learning process, which obviously you've been down. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is about everybody says, well, everybody says that it's kind of like a, a thing, you know, people go, well, everybody's diet's different. Yeah. Okay. But how? And that's what we explain in the book. How are you different? How do you find out how you're different? And how do you address those unique aspects of yourself inside of the framework of metabolism and being fit and being aesthetic and being healthy. So living long, looking good and living strong for as long as you possibly can. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Almost everybody gets into this for aesthetics. Let's be honest. What is this? What is aesthetics actually? Let's break down aesthetics for a minute. Muscle, lean. But why are we attracted to aesthetics? So Mm. number one biological rule is to extend my genes into the future. And to do that, I need to attract a partner of the other, uh, you know, I need a male needs a female and a female needs a male in order to produce a baby. It's it's a requirement. Yeah. Okay. In order to do that, people are going to select biologically what is the most likely match for themselves, which if you look at the birth control 
information about how women on birth control are, are more likely to select partners that aren't suitable for their genetics than if they're off. So hormones can actually distort selection. But if we look at classic proportions of what we find attractive, facial symmetry, all of these things, vitality, muscularity, low body fats, all of those lead to subconscious cues that that person's a healthy person that I could procreate with. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's it. <laughs> so so you look there's, no sense wanna... of, there's no sense of denying this biological reality. So we're unconsciously driven, you know, like people who are taller, people who are better looking, their income is higher. People trust them more. People are more attracted to them. People are going to talk to them more. There are certain sales organizations that only hire people of a certain height and a certain yeah. attractiveness in order to be successful. I know. I think I've, I remember listening and saying, you know, the taller you are, the kind, you might have a higher salary for men. And for I'm men. Like, and it's counter for women. Oh. So there's some really interesting statistics. So, so you listen to Jordan Peterson breaks this stuff down. So here's the unfortunate realities that we're facing as a society. So the taller a woman is, the higher her IQ is, and the higher her income, the less likely she is to find a partner. Wow. That's so interesting. The higher income. Yes, because women tend to go, uh, the laws of hypergamy said they tend to take on partners who are at their level or above. Mm. And men tend to take partners who are at that level or below. Now, the theory in in biology is that from a subconscious security level, that there is going to be an extended period of time biologically where the woman will be compromised. And so she wants to be sure that she's with a competent man while she's raising an infant or the demands of an infant or pregnancy. So these, maybe they don't necessarily apply to the modern world and all its sophistication, but we do have these genetic and biological biases in selection. And now that's coming out into the world. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's really interesting. It is. I, I, as a woman, too, it's like you want, you want the masculine, of course, because you're, you're going to have a baby. And yeah. you want someone to be able to take care of you while, you know, you're. Sure. You know, so these are just things that, I don't know, just are natural. <laughs> well, well, yeah, they, they've made sense for thousands of years. And essentially, you know, a couple of things happen. We've, we've freed up the, the advent of medicine and the advent of hormones. So most people died very young. Then penicillin came along. And mm-hmm. wow, that just changed the game. So yeah. a lot of people, right? Surgery came along, extended life expectancy because, you know, what was a stroke and a heart attack or a major illness or whatever, cancer or something like that, or damaged organs or a car accident where you, there was no hope for you. Surgery allowed us to repair that tissue and get you healing. So those are big advents that the medical industry have. Then along came birth control in the 60s. So now pregnancy was an option. And, this, and let's look at a biological reality. For women and for any species, we're the first species on the planet that the females could determine whether they decided to be pregnant or not. So 4 billion years of evolution on this planet, no other species has women, the female part of that species been able to control whether they have, whether they have more mm. of themselves. So if it's ants or birds or bees or whatever you want to like, <laughs> no choice here. 
all of a sudden women, we've introduced that choice. And so we're 60 years into the experiment. Yeah. And there's been some optimal things in the experiment. I think it's provided a lot more options for women. And I certainly think, you know, in some of the fields of that were previously not accessible for females, I think that's a positive thing because I don't care if someone's a man or a woman, if they are at the top of that level and can produce, you know, great medicine or new technology or something that benefits all of humanity, knock yourself out. I want the biggest playing field as possible. I don't care if it's men or women. Yeah. But when it comes to producing children, there's no options. You need a female. So, because in the world, sperm is cheap. Eggs are expensive (laughs) from a biological perspective. I guess that's true. And so all of our aesthetic desire is in that. And aesthetics correlate to two aspects. So, which is one fitness and one health. Mm. So we have, um, we have uh, performance, health, and aesthetics. Performance usually relative to fitness or relative to your career. So it could be mental fitness, emotional fitness. Cardiovascular yeah. fitness, uh, you know, anaerobic fitness. There's a lot of different ways you can categorize that. Yeah. But most people would think that fit people probably are more aesthetically pleasing than non-fit people. Mm-hmm. And healthy people are generally more uh, aesthetic than non-healthy people. And in the ultimate expression, you'd be fit and healthy. Now, today, of course, we have plastic surgery and hormone augmentation and a variety of chemicals that may give therapy. the illusion <laughs> That you're aesthetically, you're aesthetically idea and they have these other characteristics, but you might have compromised your health in order to get them. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, I mean, it's just how it is. You don't want, of course, just the looks or something where people look at and they, and it's aesthetics is kind of, are you healthy in a way, you know? Yeah. So, um, when we first met or at your launch party for this book, you mentioned B cells. Yes. Which I wanted to talk about sure. because you definitely are around this whole industry of health, longevity. You have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of gene therapy? Have you thought about doing gene therapy, folostatin, where it like increases your muscles, kind of like turns on that gene to like that could be impacting muscle gain? So it mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. So, um, and how are you feeling with B cells? Basically, stem cells, correct? But they're energized. Yeah, so so that's a lot of questions. We'll try, know, we'll try to un, we'll try to un, okay, we'll, okay. one try un, unpack all of them. First off, gene therapy. I'm I'm waiting on the sidelines of gene therapy. Okay. The reason being is is you know we mapped the human genome know, 15 years ago or whatever it is and. That was awesome. And we thought that was going to be the be all and end all. And then we found out, oh, there's this thing called epigenetics, which is means just because you have a suboptimal gene doesn't mean that's going to express itself. So nutrigenomics became how do you turn on the optimal aspects of gene expression and turn off the suboptimal? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the genes weren't great all of it. Explanation of that. I right? love that. Yeah. And so gene therapy, again, my observation in metabolism over the last 35 years that I've been doing this is that there are unexpected things that you learn when you start playing with your metabolism. And I believe that 
when it comes to genetics, there are unexpected things that are going to happen <laughs> when you're toying with your genetics. It just seems reasonable to me. And I know this From is going to be I know this is going to be super <laughs> controversial and you can cut it out if you must. But the reality is, uh, we just went to the largest globally unregulated gene experiment in the world with the, with, the, with the jab. This wasn't a vaccine. It was a gene therapy that was, in, it was rebranded as a vaccine given to the world. And there's been a variety of unintended consequences to a large part of the population. It is largely going unreported because most of the chains... Uh, are in bed with the pharmaceutical industry because they rely on their advertising dollars for that. That's the reality that we're living in. <laughs> so we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, okay. There are bodybuilders right now experimenting with gene therapy. Really? I know. I, I, yes. I'm curious if that's going to be kind of a common thing. Then oh, for, without a doubt. Uh, there's all kinds of reports that various military operations, foreign and likely within our own, uh, like within our own military, are experimenting with gene therapy to create super soldiers, yeah, super athletes, all of that sort of stuff. So if you go like, so Oof. if you're going to peptides, for example, the, the 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 Russians were the foremost peptide experts in the world for, yeah, they've been peptide experts for generations. Peptides and re- have been a lot around for yes, a long time, but most of the most of the evidence was cut off here. Mm. Uh, into the Western world, so that was in, and now Evidence? a lot of the yeah a lot of yeah they, we just didn't we just didn't circulate in our periodicals and our journals and was performed and, and and brought out. So you have to realize the distribution of information is just as much as the information of itself. Mm. And we live in an internet world now where distribution is much easier than it was twenty years ago without the internet. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of what was happening behind the Iron Curtain in a communist Soviet Union. And people mistake the Soviet Union with Russian. They're not the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Soviet Union was a communist structure and had a, a, a large research facility around hormones because athletic dominance was an aspect to demonstrate the superiority of the political ideology. All right. <laughs> and so these are ways that you could get around drug testing and produce performance and athleticism and with treat peptides. all kinds of yeah with diseases. And now mm-hmm. because of the internet, that's becoming more widespread. Now, the governments are trying to regulate this because it could be disruptive to the current business model that's in vogue. Wow. That's why you think they're trying to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I'm a conservative libertarian. Mm, okay. What does that, that mean? <laughs> uh, I would like the government out of as many things as possible. And I'd like to stick with the principles that made this the best country in the world because of the ideology it's not mm-hmm. a perfect ideology it's just better than everything else that's been out there i'm all for improving it yeah um but i believe that it's my body my choice i make so i'm not against compelled government uh directives i'm not against the restriction of anything uh if somebody wants to take drugs if they want to get high if they want to take hormones if they want to take gene therapy <laughs> who am i to disrupt that provided the consequences of that are not hurting society at all. Mm. And if they are, well, then they fall within the, the, the structures of whatever is going on. So, for example, someone's taking a gene therapy and all of a sudden they're homeless on the street and now we have to spend all these social programs. We may want to look at the uh, of how we the regulate concept. that drug. Yeah. But when it comes to things like uh, all of the anabolic drugs and all of the uh, – 
biohacking drugs and including peptides inside of that and, and um, stem cells and these type of things. I think there's enough body of evidence to say they're far less harmful than many of the prescription medications that people are taking. I know that's a very good point. <laughs> right? So I'm not against prescription medications, yeah. but I'm not against these things either. And I'm, but I am against somebody sitting in a centralized government telling me what I can, can access or what I can use or what I can't use when it's my body. And that's definably not creating any sort of destructive condition. You look at alcohol, which is sold and controlled by the government. That's the number one uh, catastrophic drug sold worldwide. Yeah. And then we see the proliferation of this, you know, weed that's being sold. And it's not weed that I grew up with with kids where you smoke a little bit and you feel a little, you know, tingly and that sort of stuff. We're talking, these are sedatives now. We have a lot of sedatives that people are just sedating themselves from the overwhelm of digital technology. So these un- intended consequences of being hooked on our phones and machine and, and computers. Yeah. It's right. It's, and the dysregulation that's happened. From it's that. very overwhelming, especially now with AI too. And the, the, this whole space of technology is going so fast and it's like how much time you have to stick to your computer and your phone to kind of keep up also is like, also we're not moving. We're not doing these things. It's just, it's a very mixed uh, society right now where we're trying to be mentally, you know, stable and also be physical. But it's hard when you're also trying to, like, you know, stay yes. up to pace. Well, we're in the grandest experiment of all time. It's an awesome time to be on the planet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. Well, interesting times are chaotic. And mm-hmm. now with the proliferation of communication technology the time from information to come out to be distributed has changed significantly. And that's blown away the gatekeepers of information dissemination that existed prior to the internet. And so those institutions are clamoring for control because if you can control the narrative, you can control the thoughts. And if you can control the thoughts, you control the outcome. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So we're in this information war yeah. And, and, and inside of the information world, this is where we're getting conflicting information. And then so this is what's happening in the diet industry is it the diet industry, the industry that I'm most interested in the health industry, I should say the diet industry, a diet is merely, is not, it, it's, it's a means to an end. It, you're looking for it, it. There's no diet that is like the gold standard that we should all proselytize at this diet. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's just an artifact of our of tribalistic amygdala neurochemical system that <laughs> gets us attracted to that. So we need to bypass that now. We need to actually understand those are tendencies that I can offset with our forebrain. That's why we have one. And it can override those amygdala systems. And I can look at this and say, okay, I want to do this. I want to achieve this. Or I'm struggling with this. How do I address those particular things without being locked into, you know, the dietary tribe. And so that's what we do in the book. We say, Hey, here's how you do this. Here's the things. And I made lots of mistakes. Matt's made a lot of mistakes. And it's all friends have made lots of mistakes. You you mentioned the mistakes. You say, now what we figured out, I mean, this, it really has everything in here. It's, um, well, we, we have a lot. I hate to say everything everything, because (laughs) there's a lot of, there's a lot of things like I'm open to be wrong. Like Mm -hmm. right now. So right now I'm contemplating something. Hmm. Okay, this is this is so I'm the unofficial fiber king of the world. Okay, we heard of the liver king. I would be the fiber king. I probably oh, eat you love more fiber. Well, okay. I probably yeah. eat more fiber 
then 99.999% of it, like I'm like monkey fiber levels or gorilla fiber levels. Are you supplementing levels. with fiber? Or no, I just, eat so much fiber because I'm on a plant-based diet. Okay, okay. And, and the, the nature of my plant-based diets on a performance side is I got to get a lot of protein. You don't get a lot of protein on a plant-based diet. On a plant-based diet, you got to have a lot of yeah, legumes and do? beans. Okay, yeah. so yeah, what is your protein intake and and what are you eating to get there? Yeah, great I'm question. Right? <laughs> so I'm going to fill in that. So, okay, in, so, so why questions. did I get the fiber thing? And, 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 and that's, they're, they're actually interrelated. Okay. So the standard operating protocol for bodybuilders or strength athletes is one gram per pound of body weight a day. That will give you sufficient amount of amino acids to produce positive gains in your muscle mass without losing muscle mass, especially in a calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, on a plant-based diet, with the state of plants today, I personally believe that the protein content in plants has eroded over the last hundred years. We can park that and come back to that later, but I have- Okay, nutrient deficient, yeah. It's, well, I'll, I can talk about that in a minute, <laughs> right? I want, want to part this up to, to give you the proper credence to your question. So in order to get the amount of protein I require, and keep in mind, 2007, I was doing 250 grams of protein a day using a lacto-ovo, uh, like a, a lacto-vegetarian diet. So I was using, supplementing with, protein supplements from dairy-based protein supplements. So it's a vegetarian diet that's, that allows for milk derivatives, essentially. Oh, okay, right? Like okay. whey protein, for example. That's what got me into problems dietary-wise. That, 250 that, grams? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. When I went back in 07 and competed at the World Championships, I did it at 85 grams on a, mm. all plants. Mm. Raw food. Wow. Okay. So, 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 that, so that's a, that's a considerable <laughs> amount of variance. And I didn't have the digestive issues afterwards. Mm. Same weight, same conditioning. All that was the same. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I figured it out. It took me four years. <laughs> now going back to as a 50 year old, my hormones are not the same. I'm not on any, and all these competitions, by the way, are drug tested competitions. Mm. So we're not allowed to use any drugs or peptides or things like that. So we're peptides. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have to fit all the WADA instructions, a whole bunch of things you can't take. Okay. Right. Um, it's pretty restrictive. In fact, most biohackers would fail. I know. Like, okay, I almost don't know all. If almost I all. Do this. No, but, but it's. And I don't. I'm not suggesting people doing it. To me, it goes back to that that control that the positive constraints, so that I can get on this podcast today and share things that other people can't share because they haven't done that. Yeah. So they can have a conjecture, or they can have an opinion, or they can have a theory. But that theory is going to come up against what. I've been able to do and replicate under this constraint. Yeah. That's, That's why like, I put those constraints. You know, I, I, I really appreciate what Brian Johnson's doing, giving all this knowledge. Correct. And I'm like, but, you know, he's done gene therapy. He's done these like testosterone patches Correct. and stuff. So that kind of, you know, it, it's like, I love his whole nutrition plan and everything he's bringing to the table for knowledge. But there are some factors where I'm like, you know, your muscle strength and these things probably from the gene therapy or these other things you've done. Well, testosterone you know? alone. Yeah. Testosterone. Dude, a, I know. Like <laughs> if you put me on, if, if I went on TRT today within 12 weeks, I'm likely, likely going to have somewhere between five to 10 pounds more of lean body mass. Wow. It's and and if you think about this, so I'm a 185 pound guy, I'll compete at around 175. Mm. 
But if we took away my organs, if we took away the bones, if we took about, so how much muscle do I really have? 50, 60 pounds? Mm. And I add eight or 10 pounds or five wow. or 10 more pounds. That's like 10 to 20% more muscle. Wow. So from a visual perspective, that is going to make a massive difference in how I would look or how I would appear. Now, then if you go to supraphysiological dosages, which is what bodybuilders are doing, much higher than you would find in a normal range, that's how these people can add 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds more muscle. muscle. than So they're literally Ooh. twice as much muscle as they were genetically designed to carry. That's why they look the way they look. I know. Right. Like, uh, what are the complications when someone gains that much muscle? I feel like our body's not supposed to do that. It's not meant, you know, we're putting in these synthetics and then it's just, I mean, I I don't want to, I don't want to create a condemnative nature of what bodybuilders are doing. I think that would not, I, I think it's from the easy. health standpoint. Do you see any? Well, any, if you like, look at the life expectancy of bodybuilders in the general population, they're fairly similar. Okay, I would say the the bodybuilders that generally figure it out usually will go on some form of TRT. Extended use of testosterone and growth hormone does seem to have a negative effect on longevity. I would say it's probably the equivalent of. Sugar, fat, obesity, and all that stuff. So, 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 yeah. So, if we're gonna go (laughs) condemn bodybuilders, we got to put up a sign at at, at every Dunkin' Donuts as well, condemning everybody. (laughs) So now we're just in this condemnative nature of everybody. Oh, you're a sugar guy. You're a fat guy. You're a muscle guy. You're, you're a, you know, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Like, come on, is is very detrimental to our health. So that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, like we're here to advocate positive selections without making a moral, ethical judgment, period. Yeah. That's not my job. My job is to provide solid information that's research-backed. There's 875 scientific studies to validate the information that would all which were vetted by a PhD on our team to show the the, the validity of the studies that we're citing within the information. For this, for For that book. The diet and nutrition. For this book. Yeah. The Ultimate Nutrition Bible. Yes. I know you guys have so much research behind everything you're doing, your supplements, yeah. this, it's just, yeah. it's really amazing. I, I, you know, I, I want everyone to know that because I think you just see by optimizers and you're like, okay, great. Everyone loves these supplements, magnesium breakthrough and the enzymes, which I take every day, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, but there's so much research behind that. And yeah. so I just want to get that out there because a lot of supplements a lot of supplement companies don't have this backing up or, you know, and maybe not even have the ingredient or that amount or the absorption. Well, and, the, and there's two types of research and I want to bucket them because a lot of people just go to scientific double blind studies okay, as the only validable, validatable research. And the 875 studies we're talking about meet that criteria. But the other side of the book is clinical experience that Matt and I have had over training, coaching thousands of people. So clinical experience is real world. Laboratory stuff is trying to validate the elements that are contributing to the real world discuss. Nine times out of 10, somebody figures it out in the real world, and then it takes a decade or two for science wow. to validate that. And the problem today with science is how science is funded. So tell me who funds the science, and I'm going to tell you the outcome. There's very little science that is actually 
trying to prove what's true. And so the whole institutional uh, academic sphere has largely been hijacked by the donor class, politicization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we just witnessed this over the last few years with the whole mandates that came down. And now what was propagated to us on all the media channels is now proven to be totally untrue. And the people who were qualified to criticize that at the time were taking off the distribution. So I'm not here to say that on a conspiratorial level, but that was the reality that's happened. And many of the people that were taking off that had the credentials to actually criticize in an open dialogue in a free speaking society, we're taking out of the equation. And that's the thing that we need to worry about the most. Yeah. Because, and, and, and I'm sure we'll have our amount of detractors and attackers and that's well and fine. And I think that's okay. I think people should, should criticize the parts that are suboptimal in the book. Feel free to let's have an open discussion and debate it and let people experiment and try for themselves, Mm -hmm. but let's not cordon off that dialogue. I think that's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to circle back because we, we lost the protein. I know. I was just thinking that too. I was like, we, wait, yeah. I want to know what you're yeah. eating for your protein because yeah. I think this is huge for everyone yeah. who wants to eat more vegetables and more yeah. plant-based, yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. So the mornings will be uh, a big protein shake. We have protein breakthrough, which is a combination of pea, hemp, and pumpkin. Okay. Right. I make yeah. chocolate pudding. Okay. In the morning, I have a vanilla with the pea protein or with yeah, yeah. the pea uh, hemp and pea. It's pea hemp and pumpkin. And I yeah. mix that all together. I add a, a mushroom blend of Newtopia, which is these concentrated amounts of mushrooms because it's really Good great for, for B&M. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'll have that for breakfast. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of oats. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have a little bit of fruit. Depends on what I feel like. Sometimes I won't have anything. I'll have a coffee or something. Okay. Right. So if I have a coffee, I tend not to have the oats and I tend not to have the fruit. Mm. If I have if I don't have the coffee, I'll either have fruit or the oats. Okay. Yeah. One of the two. I love it. Okay. <laughs> just thought I noticed so just from myself. you're getting like 20, 30 grams of protein with the powder. You just do one scoop, right? So you're no, 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 no. I'm a bodybuilder. So, okay. so, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking usually around 40 grams, 30, between 30 and 40 grams of protein per In meal. In the morning, right. Per oh, meal. Yeah. Or per meal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm shooting now as a guy in his 50s at. 150 grams of protein a day, roughly. Okay. So in the afternoon, so my next meal. So you're doing two scoops? Is there, because it's like 20 something grams of protein, right? So you're doing about two scoops or something. Yeah, I'll do two scoops and then I'll oftentimes boost that with uh, some amino acids or some Mm. pea protein or something like that. Something I'll get a high protein with low carbohydrate. Okay. Right. So I want, you know, in that for me, 30 to 40 grams is what I'm shooting for. Okay. Okay. Now, my next meal would be. A massive salad. So the bowl is like this big and it's rounded up. It's it's a massive salad, right? <laughs> and I basically take two handfuls of lettuce. I take a handful of tomatoes. I take a handful of cucumbers. I take a handful of, you know, chopped nice. up peppers. I take a handful of celery. Sometimes it's, I like celery a lot. So I'll do a, one and a half of celery. And then I'll take um, a cup and a half of chickpeas mm. that I put on the salad. Okay. And I'll have a kombucha with that. Um, if I've run a lot and I'm a little bit deficient, I'll have some carbs, some sort of carb source. So you're getting the protein from the chickpeas? That's right. Okay. okay. That's right. Now, if I really find I'm jonesing on that afterwards, I might have a little bit of protein after, plant-based protein, or okay. I might have a protein bar. Okay. 
right? I'll do a protein bar or something like that, especially if I'm traveling. You know, yeah. some, some, like, because like, because if my protein isn't enough, I notice there's an appetite mm, hunger, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I monitor that, my yeah. appetite, and again, yeah. I have to really use fiber to feel full, full because there's a delayed onset of when I feel full to when I am full. Mm. I'll overeat by my own nature, and then my third meal is going to be like uh, veggies, beans, rice. Or I'll have a protein shake, some sort of carbohydrate, rice, potatoes, or fruit, right? And then in the evening, I'll have lentils again, okay? right? Or I'll have uh, tempeh okay, or something like that, you know? Um, Those are your, mostly your go-tos for protein. Yeah, bean, bean, so beans, chickpeas, and protein powder, pea, hemp, right? Hemp is my favorite. Pea, but number two, pumpkin is number three. Okay. On those, on, you heard on of there. this? Uh, it's like choco. Mac- I just, I just bought some the okay. other day. I haven't tried it yet. Oh, I, I, buy, I bought it. some the other day because yeah. I want to give it a try. I looked at the profile. I was like, oh, I never had that stuff. I'll try that. I'm really liking it. Yeah. yeah I've been yeah. putting in my little cocoa June yogurt and stuff. Yeah, it's so, really good. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's my main thing. And then once a week, once There's a week, lots of fiber. Um, yeah. So my fiber <laughs> intake, I was just doing the estimation because uh, I was looking at what the, I think they re- recommend around 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. It's and really healthy. A lot healthy. of people are not getting fiber. I right. Think this is Most people around 15 ish. grams. Yeah. And, really bad. and then there's no designation between insoluble and soluble. But I, my estimations are I'm getting on the low end, 70 grams of fiber a day on the high end, a hundred. Wow. Depending on my day. <laughs> See, yeah. you're. Now the, the medical science says that over 50, you could run into health trouble. I haven't experienced that. My profiles are really good, but I don't know if that's something that's happening. Constipation or something? Well, the variety of different. Well, there's a variety. Yeah, that could be it. I I certainly go to the bathroom probably more than most people. I'm the most regular guy on the planet for sure because I just have so much fiber. Right? It's just ridiculous. People are not going to the bathroom. You probably need to add some fiber. And keep in mind that with that much fiber, your transit time is slower. Mm. Okay. So. One of the reasons that I fast is because that allows me a day to just really clean out the whole system. And I'll drop five, six pounds. By doing your fast? Yeah. Wow. And that's just intestinal bulk. Yeah. So I'll carry more intestinal bulk than another person just because of the slow transit time of a plant-based diet. Mm. Right? And so my variance on my weight will be a little bit more than, say, someone who has a low-fiber diet. This is so interesting. I know there's so right? much that interacts and so there's a nuances. And like, yeah, you know. So, so I, I, I think I'm, I'm officially the fiber king. I, I do, okay. do a lot of fiber, we're, and that's how I do. We're my stamping program. that. We're now, making you the now, fiber king. Now, now I want to also include some other things on the fits your macros because I will augment with some protein bars occasionally. I also will and use go to. You don't yeah, have I'll, protein I'll use, bars. I'll use Quest chips. Okay, okay. Right, I'll use those. Have you ever seen those profile on those chips? You know, yeah, it's two a lot bags, of protein. Two right? bags of chips is forty grams of protein. Does it fill you up? Do you feel? Like- I do. I do notice okay. the difference from the protein content. So if I know I'm a little deficient and I'm on the run, I'll grab a kombucha and two two of those chips because I love chips. <laughs> no this is really that. it's really bad like i have a chip addiction uh-uh. and there's a there's an ongoing there's an ongoing it's not just uh, veggies no 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 i tell my friend i tell my friends when they come to my events i'm like listen i have to put the chips in a bowl but i'm gonna put the bowl on the table but if you don't like aggressively go after the chips i will eat all of them before you even know it and i'll be pouring another bag and i'll eat all of them too so 
once a week, generally on Saturdays, because I'm a UFC fan, I watch the UFC and I bring my friends over and I put on a spread. Like I have chips and everything and, and whatever I want. If I want one of those evil veggie burgers that everybody condemns, I'll go have one of those and I'll have some French fries <laughs> and I'll walk across the street oh over there to, 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 to and get an ice cream. And I'm going to- So you also I'm gonna have boost a great me. metabolism. Yeah. You have a great no, that's strategic. That's a strategic move. To exercise your body, basically? No, I've got to like- have a day a week that I'm spiking my metabolism because of my calorie restriction during the week. If I don't do that, eventually my metabolism will slow down. Mm. So you have to realize this is strategic calorie surpluses. <laughs> it's also keeping me so, you know, people go, all the, well, what about all the toxins on that and this and that or whatever? Big deal. It tastes good. I'm getting past it. And if well, I and show you're something also really I'm, healthy, yeah, if I see you know, my profile someone, goes wrong, I'll stop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, so, a lot of people have issues with their health. So this could be kind of hindering their health. But I feel like you have made it to where your body can take these things in. You have a great detox. So you, you know, your body knows how to detox these things. So you can take in these little extra bits. Well, let's, 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 that's a great point. So let's talk about that for a second. And we'll, I'll talk about the psychology of how people get hooked into dumb diets. Okay. What happens is person sees a picture with their friends. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm that fat. They get a diagnosis from their doctor, a comment from a family member or significant other, a breakup, uh, a loss of something. And they're like some sort of traumatic, social, emotional, economic, physiological health event. Mm -hmm. Okay. The emergency bells goes on and people go, Oh my God, I need to change. I need to do this. What am I going to do? I'm too fat. I'm unhealthy. I'm whatever. So they go search the internet, blah, blah, blah. blah. They look at all this conflicting and then they find the diet that's right for them. And so they go on some sort of restrictive dieting. So in other words, they knock out a whole bunch of things that they were normally doing and they go through this diet and they produce results. They went on a keto diet, they went on a paleo diet, they went on a plant-based diet, they went on whatever diet that happens to be, right? And it produced results for three months and they got into shape. They lost 10 pounds or 15 pounds. They got into shape and they're like, this diet is the best. Guess what? Good luck sustaining that the rest of your life because there was suboptimal stuff in that restriction. But the benefit of the restricted amount of calories and the restricted amount of variance allowed you to heal or deal with the other elements that you were trying to address. Now, once you get to your ideal weight, what do you do then? Nobody's talking about reverse dieting. Nobody's talking about increasing your capacity or boosting your metabolism or those things. The key to long-term dietary management is metabolism, not diet. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you boost up metabolism is through lean body mass, hormonal augmentation, Mm. right? Yeah, Yeah. thyroid, everything is so important. strategic dietary interventions. Now, right now, I don't have the hormonal interventions. Mm. I'm not, I'm I'm playing, I'm pushing that card to later because I want to keep running the constraints as long as I can until I realize that the the liabilities of not being on hormones yeah, outweigh the benefit of the constraint learning. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that I wouldn't do better on hormones. Yeah. What I'm saying is, is I, I want to keep working the constraints as long as I can so I can advocate for this. And then I'm going to use these strategic metabolisms. So when I'm telling you on Saturdays, I'm jacking the calories up. It's not just about the social and um, sensory experience which I don't underestimate. Those things are fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I love socializing my friends. 
I like eating in an, an abundance mentality. I love, you know, watching fights and gunning down chips as the cortisol goes up and everything. And I love the fact that it's strategic and I'm going to wake up next week and I'm going to be looking great. Yeah. <laughs> and people go, how do you do that? Right. Oh, you just have one of those blessed metabolisms. No, I don't. I know. I'm naturally fat. All the people in my family are fat. You know, like my relatives are fat. They got heart disease and diabetes and, and my sister died of cancer. And like, it, it, so, so I got the same health profile. Like, yeah. This isn't, you just have some magical no. body. And I yeah. think a lot of people think this. And even with successful people, it just came yeah. to them. And I'm like, no, everyone who's successful or who is fit, especially in LA, I see how hard they're working yeah. towards it. It's not like they just naturally were born, you know. There are a few genetic exceptions. Yeah. like You know, you get like the Shannon Sharps of the world or you have, you know, um, people who Francis Nagano like they have that, this, that showed like, up or you have Wilt Chamberlain. Okay. At the end of the spectrums, there are genetic freaks, but the best ones of those people still work on their diets, still work on the training to get the most out of what God gave them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, I don't, most of the time, I think a huge percentage, most people have to work towards whatever they're trying to achieve. Like it Absolutely. took a lot of work. It took a lot of time. It took, you know, a lot of research effort, a lot, you know, it didn't just come to them. Well, and the ones that do, if it comes to you early in life and you didn't do anything to earn it, oftentimes they become the most challenging later on in life as their hormones don't work or toxicity builds up and they never had to worry about it for 20 or 30 years. And all of a sudden it's a major illness or they just go into a metabolic meltdown Yeah, and you go, what happened? Well, you didn't learn those principles earlier. So your suboptimal genetics now may actually be serving you in that you have to put the work in. And I understood at 15 years old when my sister was diagnosed with cancer, obviously there's some things I don't know here. Now my ex, I need to exercise and build muscles. I thought that was how I was going to be healthy and vital. You know, that was a very, very narrow version, but it began the pathway to the pursuit of this that 35 years later led to the ultimate nutrition Bible. And now you obviously have great energy. Thanks. And you see, you know, you're mentally just your energy mentally too. You could just tell, you know, you're on it. You're, you know, and then you have a lean body. So these things are just, you're living a really good life too, because of that, because of all the things you've done. And I feel like when you're healthy physically, you're also healthy mentally. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, you probably feel so good compared to people who are, you know, it's like full, what like emotional, mental, physical, this whole cycle of being healthy. So it's like, because there's the big mental part too. Like if you're not happy and you're not, what's the point, you know? And I think energy is everything being healthy. You know, your neurons are doing what they're supposed to when you have minerals and you have these things doing, you know, your body is optimized. You feel really good, you know? So I think that's like the main point I love about being healthy is I feel so good. (laughs) I, I always share with people if you spent a day in my body, you would understand why I've been doing this my whole life. Because you feel amazing. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I'm, I have extreme levels of gratitude because you never know when that can change for anyone. Yeah. And I've seen that personally in my life early on. So I know the consequences of not being healthy. And I've seen people go from very unhealthy very healthy. And when people do that, uh, 
because of things that I was able to share with them or Matt was able to share with them or a company was able to help them. There's no amount of money in the world that it can replicate that feeling. And then I go, well, why do I have this biochemical feeling of seeing other people benefit from what I'm doing? Oh, well, then we are actually biologically programmed to feel happy when we're supporting other people that is leading to the positive biological expression of what it is to be a humanist. I feel good. So if I'm on social media and I'm yelling and I'm upset and I'm frustrated and I'm arguing with someone else and that toxic kind of energy is going out, what do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel happy? No. No. You feel suboptimal, unhealthy, a little bit whatever. And then it's like, well, that's an indication. It's an indication that you're you're out of alignment with your own body. Your own body is giving you biofeedback. And I do believe that a lot of the suboptimal hormones, cognitive issues, emotional issues, psychological issues are directly correlated that people are interacting in an artificially created replicatable universe that actually doesn't feed the biology. It just activates the neurochemistry. So it's like adding an, or augmenting a, a hormone into the body without understanding the regulation. And so the dysregulation that's happened from the perversion of social media, not say that social media is bad. There's a lot of great things about it. Yeah. But if you look at the, 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 the connection between social media usage, psychological, emotional, and physiological health, I mean, the data is not very favorable. So what it is, is the technology has advanced so fast that as biological beings, our genetics and our bodies and our physiology and our society structures haven't adapted fast enough towards that. It's, it's fast. It's, it's really fast. So as, as, as individuals, we need to understand and, and rec- recognize the historical 10,000 generations of genetic proclivities that I've inherited. And then how am I going to do my best within the circumstances that I find to put those genes into the gene pool for the next 10,000 generations? <laughs> and this is just, you know, one time it was, you know, I don't think it was healthy when a saber-toothed tribe was chasing you. I don't think it was healthy when you were starving in the savannah of Africa. I don't think it was healthy when you were sailing over a boat with typhoid theater and a vitamin C deficiency in, in high bacteria <laughs> environments. But our ancestors did all that stuff and they survived and they found a way to survive and they passed on their genes. And inside of that, we have to realize is that we've had a lot more successes than we've had failures and that we have to take the good with the bad and we got to do the best that we can with what we are and stay open to what's new information and exciting. And, and I think it's the best time ever to be alive. It is. We're, we're so fortunate. It's yeah. like, I, I mean, we have, it's tragically Amazon good. It's tragic good fortune. Two, you know, the next day groceries yeah. delivered phones. I can go message my mom in two seconds or send her a picture in two seconds. Like we are living in an amazing time. And I'm like, but there, so many people are dealing with depression and, yep. and I'm like, how is this happening when we are so fortunate to have health? We have a grocery store. We have food everywhere. We have safety. You know, I have all this furniture. I have no idea where it came from. I have beans that are delivered from a different country for my coffee. I mean, you can go on and on of gratitude of mm-hmm. how fortunate we are compared to 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, but the depression is something that a lot of people are struggling with. And I think that comes back to health um, and, you know, a lot of these toxins and then of course, you know, loneliness and how maybe tech can kind of be, you know, 
creating some type of loneliness when we're not interacting. And then we're also not being physical, which I think is very important for people to interact and be, you know, get that movement in, but we're sitting a lot and all these things. So it's just a whole realm of factors that are affecting, I think, our mental and physical state um, that, you know, I don't know. Well, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this and he talks about the neurophysiology of the dominance hierarchy that we have, which is a system inherited that we share with lobsters from 270 million years ago. With lobsters? Yeah. Oh. And so, (laughs) and so, uh, our serotonin levels are, are are relative to how we feel connected or where we are in the in the in the tribe. Because mm. if you were outside of the tribe, that meant certain you're death. Not, yeah. And if you were at the top of the tribe, that means you had all of the replication uh, capabilities that that would have. So you have the best possibility of passing on the best genes for that particular group. So from a biological sense, forget all the social stuff. That makes sense. So when a person. Uh, up to this point, would compare themselves with 150 people or 200 people that they know. So you follow something in there, and you, and if you're falling off that, you start to change your behavior so that you move up the behavior. Wow. So you become socially re-engineered. So in other words, oh, that's unsocial behavior. That's highly social behavior. The, the idea of sharing and value creation and doing things for others and all these principles they advocate in a lot of the religions and stuff, which is interesting, so as a way to survive. Tribe. If you go yeah, outside of those, those are considered antisocial behaviors, and that will land you in jail, in criminality, or in some sort of dire straight death destruction. So that's why people drive on the same side of the road, and that's why you know we say taking other people's lives or stealing other people's things. This is the erosion of society, so we incarcerate people for these things. What's happened now, okay, is that a person gets on the internet and now they're comparing themselves. So the average teenage girl is comparing herself to Giselle Bündchen mm-hmm. or to, you know, you know, uh, the success level to Taylor Swift or yeah. something like yeah. this. Something so far out that they like, there's no possible way. Like the, the subconscious goes. And so there's a depression of the neurochemicals inside of that. The other thing is, is the normal neurobiological feedback systems of, of, of interaction between the sexes, for example, well, that's being fed through a replication site. So men, young men are turning to pornography as a replicatable event. So they don't have to feel the rejection Mm. that they haven't met the standards of a woman in a hypergamous uh, evaluation system. Wow, that is a great way to look at that. Right? So yeah. so it's it's easy to create this replication. Is it the real thing? No, but it's close enough that it's it saves effort. And it's safe. Now, yeah. same thing is a woman who is using her social media or Instagram to garner attention and influence. Mm. She can get so she's getting the same payoff that a man is getting from porn from her social media. So she's so it's it, it's 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 and and <laughs> and a lot of people don't want to take ownership of that. So I can be a, an attractive female and put my filters on and do this sort of stuff and have thousands of men hitting me up. And what does that do? Well, now instead of getting proposition by the eligible men in a, in a 150 person community, maybe that's 20 men that are potentially eligible throughout all history. That's what a normal woman would be exposed to throughout history. So she's going to select between those 20 guys. Well, guess what? Now there's a thousand sliding into her DMs. Yeah. And so now she's put forth this propagated choice of thousands of choices. The man is looking at thousands of pornographic materials. So he's going through this rep. So both of them are living in these artificial components. She's trying to select what's the best choice for her. He's trying to select what's the best. But they're not based in reality. They're based in this artificial world. 
And then what's happening is there's a depression of the neurochemical system, which is now showing up in their metabolism, which is now creating all sorts of conditions. And then that's leading to compensated, compensated behavior. I'm going to take a drug. I'm going to take a, a hit of this, a smoke of this, a pill of this. I'm going to do something outrageous. I'm going to do something that generates more within the digital world. So extreme behavior on the internet in order to garner more attention, more likes, more valuation, or turning to more extreme forms of pornographic gratification in order to, to, to offset. So you keep going further and further down the hole, as opposed to saying, wait a second, this is a, my metabolism, my biology, my physiology, my emotionality is a subset effect, side effect of what I'm doing in my artificial world. I'm artificially disrupting my natural biological tendencies. Wow. People haven't grasped this concept. And that is, yeah, you have that's to a get lot there. to take in. It's a lot that. to take in there, but I'm <laughs> dropping that on people right now because I've seen it. I've felt it myself. I've seen it with people I've loved and connected to. I've seen their whole life go down the drain or be distorted because of what their artificial world was telling them a different message than their real world. In their real world, their, their life was pretty good. Yeah. But they lost track of that because of this artificial social construct where they felt they weren't part of the high end of their dominance hierarchy and they felt that they were a loser or not good enough or not. Be, and what's really weird about it is the people that are most motivated to excel are probably the most likely people to be caught in the loop. Yeah. Yeah. Because you want to be at the, the right. top. Yeah. Right. Ooh, this is, as I was saying, your brain is also on fire because you have so much information and this is just a whole different way of looking at things where, yeah, I'm just going to have to listen to this a few times. <laughs> well, I spend a lot of time studying um, Eastern philosophy, spiritual philosophy, psychology, um, neurochemistry, neurophysiology. We do uh brain training interactions on our brains twice a year. Oh, we okay. optimize our neurochemistry for our nootropic uh, oh. offerings that we have. Mr. Newts, Mark Evinger is the world's best uh, nootropics guy in the world. So we've been learning about these things for an extended period of time. So I do have an advantage over someone that might be just getting into this in their twenties or thirties or whatever like that. So yeah, <laughs> we got, we got, I'm an old dog, but I got a few tricks that people might and not you know. You have of. so much information. Um, yeah. Before, I, this has been such a great conversation, but I want to just get into any peptides or stem cells that you have tried or love or anything, like yeah. the biohacks. Have you done yeah. ozone? Have you done? Yes. Uh, you've done ozone, the IV ozone? No, I do. I actually do my ozone. Um, how I do it is I have a HOCAP machine at my house and it's a capsule where you get inside and it runs CO2 first and then you and then you and then you're covered and then you yeah 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 and then you run uh, like 27 minutes of high ozone you can change the distribution of that based on what your tolerance in a steam situation so it's steam cleaning the system wow essentially and that's good for me because i have suboptimal detoxification pathways so i know that i spend a little so i got that and i got a sauna okay uh i do atmospheric cell trainer quite often i've got pemp machines Wait, what is that's where they take you up to altitude and down an altitude to increase oh, mitochondrial okay, density okay, okay that was one of the things the I'm tricks like the i used hyperbaric oxygen chambers. no hyperbaric's another one that's a okay. good one um, but I, I tend to use the atmospheric cell trainer better because it's more of a performance on mitochondrial function okay. to augment my training Okay. Uh, well, for endurance training particularly. Yeah, it's great. They got one out of it um, at the upgraded labs. They got one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so that's yeah. good. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I'm a big believer in ozone therapy. I mean, it was used as a cancer treatment way back in the late 1800s in mm-hmm. Germany and stuff. I've been in different types of ozone type of situations. Okay. Um, I'm not an expert on the, on people using ozone treatments in the blood. You know, they have the EBO machine and all that sort of stuff They've that people are doing all stuff. I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking to, forward to trying that as an, as an experiment. I haven't done EBO yet. I've been aware of it. I've seen it. I've seen people's results from it. I haven't done that particularly. As far as uh, stem cells, so you have a, a variety of categorizations. You have stem cells, you have exosomes, you have an area called V cells, which is the latest thing. Okay. Yes, please tell everyone about so, this. your um, facial. Yeah. So <laughs> I've done I've done uh, my own stem cells, and I've done exosomes. Okay. And I've done V cells. Okay. And um, IV or injection? Both. Okay. Okay. Yeah, both. Uh, so I had a shoulder injury, so I did some. I did, I did some injections in the shoulder. Mm. Um, with some doctors here in California, mm-hmm. basically they took out my own blood, you know, spun it, put that out, put the, jab that back in. Took some exosomes as well, jab that back in. Hit an um, um, a shock frequency stimulator, so I would actually create bruising in the tissue that was thing, so that would, so they would draw go them. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The so we used all that technology. And Which was horrifically painful. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. God. It was the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. Wow. Yeah. But it worked. Okay. That's, that's but it just, like took time. It, just, it just took time. <laughs> okay. um, I think exosomes are really great in uh, repair of tissues. I think that's really great. And I think that um, V-cells, though, that's, in my opinion, that's… Your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. That's… that's yeah. Because and, it is just giving energy. Well, you're taking you're taking your blood, and you take they withdraw your blood, and they spin it, and like they would do like a plasma thing or whatever. They they're spinning it, and then they spin it, and then they add certain uh, laser light frequencies and sound frequencies, and, and that sound. activates your own that activates your own stem cells, and then they put that back in. So it's completely compatible with your biology. Are they testing your frequencies before? No. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the bottom line is the physiological change of my age three months after taking it was a four-year drop in my physiological age wow and the person that was the person yeah well i like to say physiological age because biological age is not really accurate you think of biological age my biology age my biological age is my biological age i would blame my physiological equivalent in biology would be that of someone in their 20s, mm, nice. even though I'm in my 50s. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a, a late 20s athlete. Okay. That would be That's where great. my biological age would be. That's great. Okay. And, but I call that physiological age because my. Yeah, it gets. It's, I'm it's, in my going on my sixth decade here, right? Yeah. So, so that's that's how old my biology is. Yeah, yeah. But my how my physiological capabilities are. What's my VO2 max? What's my muscle mass? What's my body fat percentage? What's the shape of my organs? My physiology, my telomeres, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking at. Yeah. And again, that's not a hundred percent accurate because none There's of us know exactly tests. how yeah. long that we're going to live. And we don't know the relative, like 20, 30, 40, 50. Well, the miles on the odometer is more important than the age of the machine. Yeah. <laughs> and are good. those hard miles or are those easy miles? <laughs> and, 
you know, athleticism at its highest level are hard miles. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like I know like I just listened to Ben Greenfield yeah. and he has some hard things going on, which in there thinking it's because he went so hard as an athlete as, you know, um, doing these things that that might've affected some, some calcium buildup in his arteries, I guess. I don't know. That was just a podcast I just listened to. <laughs> yeah. Ben's, Ben's great. And you know, he's one of those guys on the extreme edge. I know. And yeah, he's, and he's he done, he's done everything yeah. to an extreme level. I know and, he and, tries everything. Yeah. He's and wasn't regulated on the drug testing that I am. So, so okay. that's because that's, his competition, I don't think required that mine did. Oh, so okay. I was operating from a constraint. Love Ben's work. Got yeah, his books. I think he's a great I know, guy. I his books um, too. And, you it's know, kind of how I got into it. Actually, I met Matt Cook. I went to Matt Cook. Oh, right. Because of Ben Greenfield. Yeah. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> yeah, Ben's great. He's done, a, he's done a great service to the world. So Yeah, yeah. I know. He just he tries everything and puts it out there for everyone. And so, yeah, I really am an admirer and kind of the woman, Ben Greenfield. There you go. <laughs> Um, but th- this has been so great. I don't want to keep, I feel like I could talk to you forever and I'll let you go. <laughs> but um, to end the podcast, I always ask guests three biohacks that you um, think are most beneficial for you. Sure. V-cells, atmospheric cell training, and the HOCAT machine. Oh, okay. It's the HOCAT. Yeah, that's what it is. So okay. those, those are the three things. That are relative to my physiology that I get the most benefit out of, of everything that I've done. Okay. And the other thing, I'll, I'll add a couple adjuncts because those are all biohacking stuff. Yeah, I like that. I mean, okay. a lot of people so, don't mention So uh, I would say that um, on the uh, supplement side, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's digestive products, enzymes and probiotics, been using those for years, the, the, the great equalizer, uh, essential fatty acid blends, non genotoxic and non-cytotoxic many of them are so you need to do their research mm. on sort of, side of that as well as um amino acids uh. so in the last few years i've been using a lot more amino acids to augment my training and i have definitely noticed the difference particularly on, here's what's really interesting i've noticed it more important on the endurance training than on the weight training so if i take Oh, um, interesting. like I take, a, a about 10 grams, 10 to 20 grams of essential amino acids before I run the muscle soreness and fatigue I feel after is really oh, reduced. Yes. So if you're into running, try that. Oh, okay. That's so great. Uh, one, you had the microbiome breakthrough. I wanted to ask you about that because you use IGY, mm-hmm. the eggs instead. Yeah. So I was wondering it's, well, it's why a derivative, you... it's a derivative out of egg yolks. Okay. Yeah. And why did you use that one for the... Well, it was because of the uh, immunoglobulins Y that was able to produce the, the effect. We've recently discovered... Okay, tell in me. Our lab I like immunoglobulins. We, yeah, we got our, we've recently <laughs> discovered something that actually be superior will be coming into the formulas in the future. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 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 just Ooh, to just so to, just to go a little this is as a as a, yeah, as a little teaser as a little teaser. <laughs> and since you asked... <laughs> So when you're talking bacteria cultures, we didn't really get into all that sort of stuff, which is our lab and our microbiome. And that's why we have the, why I'm so confident when I say we have probably the most robust, effective digestive suite on the planet today. Yeah. Your stuff is amazing. When you're looking at how um, enzymes work or how bacteria works, different bacteria respond to different mediums that they grow on. And different bacteria will attack gram positive or gram negative bacteria. you know, inflammatory bacteria or things like that. And so we've done a tremendous amount of experiments 
of looking at which type of food, which type of bacteria operates best on, and then what do those bacteria produce in short of immune system response or nutrient delivery because we have this symbiotic relationship with bacteria. Mm-hmm. And it's everything. It's it's <gasps> way more in depth. So Monia Advich, who runs our microbiology department in International Birch University, shout out to you, Monia. Yeah. She is just running experiments. We run hundreds of experiments every single month on all of these things. And so we take what's given to us in the lab as we given what's in the research, and then we test it. And I can tell you, there's a huge variance by what's being told to the population and what's actually happening in your digestive system. Wow. And so um, the IGY Max is extremely effective. That's why they got a patent for it. We put it in there. Okay. And then, uh, but we believe that we'll be able to, that we do have that and that'll be coming in new form. So we're always upgrading. Yeah. Like today I'm going to go do a webinar. Oh, we're always learning. Yeah, we're doing MassLines 4.0 and our 20-year anniversary today. It's our fourth version of MassLines. This is the fourth time we've improved the formula. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it's your 20th year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, me neither. I I feel so privileged to be here celebrating with you. Yeah, it turned out right. It turned out cool. Thank you so much for coming on. I am other questions, but I'll let you go. So um, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. I learned so much. I'm gonna have to re-listen to this because there's so much information in this. So thank you again for coming on the Biohacker Bonnie podcast. Go find all of his amazing supplements and the ultimate nutrition Bible at bioptimizers.com. And they have everything for you to optimize your health. So thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Biohacker Blondie podcast. Wade Lightheart's wealth of knowledge and personal experience in nutrition, bodybuilding, and biohacking has undoubtedly shed light on the power of personalized health strategies. Before we sign off, I have a small request. If Wade's insights and our discussion today have inspired you or shed light on new aspects of health and wellness, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is crucial for our growth and helps us reach more listeners, enabling us to keep sharing invaluable knowledge and engaging stories. Also, please share this episode with anyone that might benefit from it. Spreading the word helps build a community dedicated to health, wellness, and biohacking. And your support is key to that mission. If you're interested in sponsorships or collaborations, don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram or through my website. I'm also excited about the prospect of new partnerships and exploring innovative ways to share our health journey with the world. Thank you once again for joining us. Stay curious, keep exploring the vast world of biohacking, and always remember, investing in your health is the best investment you can make. Here's to a healthier, happier life for us all.